Well, again, good morning. Um, I hope I don't lose my voice. I was belting it out during worship. That was just so powerful, uh, such a gift to be able to worship uh, the Lord together. Um, I, just as we start, um, you know, this morning, I, I just feel this weight. Um, I, I feel, a, I don't know how to describe it, just a burden. Um, I think it's a holy burden, um, but I feel it really strongly this morning. Um, I think in part it's because of just the cumulative effect of everything that we've been going through. I think the last week, and, and honestly, it's not about who won or who didn't win. Or It's more, um, I think, just the season we've been in and all that that entails, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I don't know if anybody can identify with just feeling that weight, that burden. Um, but also it's, it's in part because of uh, what's happened in our church family, as many of you know. Uh, Cesar Huerta passed away um, uh, this time last week on a Sunday morning. Uh, father, 35 years old, father of four, uh, a member of our church family, just passed away in his sleep. And, um, and my heart breaks for Sonia and for the children. And, um, and so I feel, I feel the weight of that. Um, just talking to a lot of you, there's a lot of things going on in the life of our church things that I don't even know about, that, that you all are bringing in here and you are carrying uh, burdens. And so I, I think w- what the Lord is reminding me of in that is just we need him. I think it's that simple. Like we need God. I need you, Lord. And so when we sing the songs that we sing, when we come in here and, and we ask and we expect God to speak and to meet us here, like we, we need that because we need the Lord um, and so I feel that really intensely and really acutely this morning, um, just my need for the Lord. And I think it's a need that we as the church just, we need to ask the Lord to help us see that more, our need for him. Uh, I think in this season, one of the things that God has been doing, stirring in his church is just a deeper awareness of that need and that that would move us to prayer, specifically to prayer, that we would be a people because of our desperate need for God, we would be moved to draw near to him, to seek him, to listen for him, and to pray. Um, and so I think the Lord's inviting us in, in, into that, and, and especially this morning. You know, we're, we've been going through this great series on Daniel. I've, I've loved it. I feel like God has done so much. It's such a God thing that we ended up doing Daniel in this season, and I think he's spoken powerfully through it and ministered powerfully through it. Um, I wish we could keep going. Um, we're gonna end today, and we're gonna end with chapter nine. There's, there's three more chapters, and I encourage you to press into those. I hope we come back to those at some point, really dive in, because there's so uh, much there um, for us to know as the people of God. But we're gonna end uh, with chapter nine, and, and I'm so grateful that this is where we are ending our journey uh, in the book of Daniel, because chapter nine is, it, it's, it's Daniel on his knees in prayer. It's Daniel on his knees in prayer. And so, um, so we get to kind of look at this chapter and, and I think really listen in to what Daniel, uh, Daniel's experience of prayer was. Uh, that's all. I want you to think of it almost like that, like we're a fly on the wall. It's God and Daniel and he's praying and we get to listen in. And I think that's so, um, so helpful. Uh, I, I want us to, to ask, uh, God, what do you want to teach us as we listen in on the prayer of Daniel. I found in my own life um, when it comes to prayer that I can learn so much by just listening to the prayers of others. 
I love just being around people of prayer. Our prayer team. I love praying with our prayer team. Um, I love going to them for prayer. In, in part, not because they're like super elite Christians um, or something. They, they've got some uh, red phone line to Jesus or something. It's, it's because they're people of prayer. And, and it ministers to me and it teaches me how to be a people, a person of prayer. And so I think there's something that we can learn by listening to the prayers of others. So we want to learn from Daniel's prayer this morning. So I want to encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 9. The words that Mike just read to us, powerful words, powerful prayer. Uh, We're going to look at this prayer uh, and ask the simple question, God, what do you want to teach us? Uh, What do you want to teach us from this prayer? And I think there's a lot of things here that God could teach us, but I'm going to highlight just uh, three, uh, three things that I want us to, to learn from this prayer And the first one is this. I I want us to learn to pray out of God's word. To pray out of God's word. I think this is so important right now uh, with all that we are enduring as God's people. To to pray out of God's word. To be prompted by God's word to pray specifically by the promises of God in the word of God. Um, You know, I think so many of us find prayer intimidating. We're not sure what to do with prayer. you know, even those of us who've been following Jesus maybe for a long time, I think even still, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who said, you know, I, I just get intimidated when we're in here and we have that time of prayer and people pray out loud. I just get intimidated. And I, I never would have guessed that this person would be intimidated because this is, in my mind, this person is a prayer warrior. Um, but prayer can be intimidating for any of us. Um, and I think part of it is we don't know what to, what to say. We feel like we might say the wrong thing or say it the wrong way or We have all these kind of self-conscious things. And so I I think that's what's such a gift about where Daniel starts his prayer. Where Daniel begins with his prayer is with the word of God. That's where he begins. So let's look at that. In Daniel um, chapter nine, verse two, it says this. It says, I, Daniel, uh, perceived in the books the number of years. He says, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So what is Daniel doing when we kind of sneak in the room and we peer in on this moment of prayer? What is he doing? He is, he's reading the word of God, right? That's where he begins. Specifically, he's reading from the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, If you don't know anything about uh, Jeremiah, this will help you um, because this connects with the bigger story of Daniel. This is is, uh, one of Daniel's, probably a contemporary, lived maybe just before or partially during Daniel's time. And so he he was speaking these words of prophecy to the people of God. And he's known as the weeping prophet because most of his prophecies have to do with two things, sin and judgment. Sin and judgment. God's people had sinned and so God would judge them. That's the message of Jeremiah. And so it's not surprising that we find Daniel reading Jeremiah, um, but in some sense, it is amazing to me that, that Daniel is still reading Jeremiah because now Daniel's an old man. He's 80 years old probably, somewhere in his 80s. He's been in exile for a long time and he's never stopped reading God's word. I mean, think about all that's happened to him. Think about all that Daniel has endured in his life, conquered, taken into exile, pressed into the service of his enemies, threatened numerous times, nearly executed, painful life, hard life. I think about what it takes to kind of put up barriers between me and reading God's word. Busyness is sometimes all it takes. Think about all that Daniel has endured, all that he's been through in his life, and yet he's still coming back to the word of God. 
Such a powerful picture of this, this man in his 80s, on his knees, reading God's word and praying. That's what we find him doing, immersing himself in God's word. I think it's even more uh, powerful to me that, that, that Daniel is um, looking to the word of God because how do we know Daniel? Like what's the most famous thing we tend to know about Daniel apart from the, the lion's den? Is that he's a man of visions, right? He sees all these prophetic dreams and, and visions. That's how God reveals himself and speaks to him uh, in those ways. And yet for Daniel, what is that anchored in? What is that rooted in? Where does that come from, emerge from? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. And so he looks to the word of God. It's even more important to him than his visions or his dreams. It's how he knows how to interpret those visions and dreams is because he's not allowing them to substitute for the word of God. He's immersed himself in God's word. So what is he reading specifically? Well, Jeremiah chapter 25, God had promised Israel that uh, they would go into exile, but that that exile would only last 70 years. And in Jeremiah 30 and 31, all the way to 33, there's this whole section where he talks about the fact that, that he is going to restore his people, that he's gonna restore them from exile, he's gonna restore them to their land, he's gonna restore them to, to um, the city of Jerusalem. And so Daniel is praying out of those scriptures. He's praying out of those uh, scriptures in the Bible. He's praying out of those promises, in other words, of God's word. And so, again, just think about what's, what's happening here in this moment. Daniel, on his knees, praying in his 80s. He's been in exile for some 67 or so years is what we think at this point. He's been in exile. His life has been oriented around praying for these promises not yet realized. Think about that. How long have you ever prayed for something? What's the longest you've ever prayed for something? His whole life has been oriented. Remember in Daniel 6, we're told that he prays. In which direction does he pray? He prays towards Jerusalem, his heart is wrapped up in God's promise because this is so significant in his life and the life of God's people. And so he's praying, his whole life is oriented towards praying into this prayer and now it's near. I mean, think about praying for something for 60 something years and it gets really close. You know, the promise is almost ready to be realized. That's where he is. He's longing, he's waiting, and he says to the Lord, he says, Lord, you said it would be 70 years. Will you answer? Answer your prayer. Do what you said you're gonna do, is what he prays here. Now, just to step back a minute and, and kind of think about what's happening, you might at some point come to the question of, well, why, why would you pray for God to do something he's already promised he's gonna do? In other words, won't he just do it anyway? I mean, he said he's gonna do it, God's God, and so he's gonna do what he's going to do, and if he said he's gonna do it, then he's gonna do it. What's the point of praying into a promise like that? I mean, he doesn't need us to tell him, remind him. It's kind of what it feels like Daniel's doing, is reminding God of his promises. And I think it, it's, it's helpful when we think about how we pray and how we're called to pray is to think about God's promises not as a reason not to pray, but actually a reason to pray. It's actually kind of counterintuitive, I think, because here's the deal. In God's infinite wisdom and mercy, he chooses to work in the world through answering prayer. I don't understand that at a certain level. I mean, I get that it builds faith and I get that it's a relational piece. I get all that, but there's a part of me that's like, God, I don't understand why you 
would choose to do that. You would allow us to enter into your promises that way, that you would work through prayer. Such a gift. And so God's promises are anything but a reason not to pray. They are a call to pray, to pray into these promises. And so Daniel didn't just sit back and just wait, right? He didn't just wait while he was in exile. Well, God made the promises. I'm just gonna kind of keep an eye on the clock. 70 years comes around and we can kind of walk out of here. No, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed into these promises. And so when we read the promises of the Bible, I think we, we shouldn't just sit back either. We shouldn't just sit back and wait for God to keep his word. We should pray into those promises. We should pray into the promises of God. I thought about that a lot this week because I've thought about, again, what's happened in the Huerta family. Just how heartbreaking that is. You know, and as, as a dad, as a husband, it's broken my heart. I mean, this guy was 35. Four children. The youngest of them is three months. Next oldest is four years. Like, they're, they're, they're not going to have memories of their father. And so I found myself, and I think we all find ourselves asking these kinds of questions in the face of these kinds of tragedies. Like, Lord, why did, why? Like, can we just say, no, that's not, like, this shouldn't happen. This is not okay for this to happen. It's not right. And so our hearts break. Our hearts break for these children and for this family and for Sonia. And, and what do we do with that? I think we grieve. I think we care for this family. We care for those around us who are grieving. We walk with them the path of grief. And we pray. We pray. We are a people of prayer. And when we pray, we're not just trying to make ourselves feel better or make her feel better or others suffering feel better. Prayer is, is about God's infinite love and infinite wisdom and the promises of his word being manifest in reality, in our lives. We pray the promises of God that he'll never leave us and never forsake us. We pray the promises of God that he heals the deepest wounds caused by this, caused by this fallen and broken world. We pray that God has promised that death is not the end. We pray into these promises that we can trust in his son who is life beyond the grave. We trust those promises and we pray into those promises. And so we pray for this family even as we cry out, why Lord? We can do both. We should do both because we believe in a God who loves us and chooses to work his purposes for the world through the prayers of his people. I think when I, when I reflect personally on my own prayer life, just in, in light of all that, one of the things that I really struggle with, just to be honest, is a lot of times I don't feel like praying. I don't know if you can identify with that, but and maybe that, that's discouraging to you that a pastor would say, I don't feel like praying a lot of the time. But I don't, there's times, I'm so driven by what I feel. That's how I'm wired, in a sense, personality-wise. But, but I think all of us can probably identify with it. I, I, I struggle to pray 
when I don't feel like praying. And I think I bring that up because what I've found is when I pray the promises of Scripture, when I pray the words of God, the promises, it's almost as if my heart eventually catches up to the words. It's one of the reasons I love the liturgy that we do. They're not just empty words. They're words we pray and we, we enter into because our, it kind of helps our, our heart get where it needs to be. Now, I, I'm just gonna admit too that that doesn't always work. <laughs> I'll pray the promises of God and still it, it, it doesn't feel like I want it to feel. But it's still powerful because God still meets us there. And so sometimes it's just a simple act of faith to pray into the promises of God, trusting that they're true no matter what I feel. And so I just wanna encourage you. I don't know where you are with your prayer life right now, but maybe, um, maybe you're, you've never really tried prayer, you know, other than the get me out of this ticket prayer. <laughs> you know, like maybe that's the extent of your prayer life. I just wanna encourage you to try praying this way. Try praying like Daniel prays here. Pray out of scripture. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've never tried that. Pray out of the promises of God. Let his word, in other words, usher you into his presence so that you can receive the power of the promises, right? Try that. And so, it, it, you know, how do you start doing that? You start reading. Maybe that's where some of us need to start. We need to be reading more of God's word. You know, just start working through the Psalms. It's a great practice to read God's word and let it minister to you and let your reading lead you into prayer. If it's a command, so just give you a couple examples. If it's a command in the Bible, you know, what you could do is let that lead you to confession. This is a prayer of confession in Daniel chapter nine, right? And he's let the promises of God, what he's, God has said in his word, lead him to a place of confession. If it's a word of praise, let it lead you to, to a prayer to adoration. If it's a promise, let it lead you to ask, Lord, help me to believe this promise. I don't believe it. Help me to trust it. Help me to walk in it. Help me to, to believe you in this promise. That's how God's word can help us. You see that? It can help us as we, as we learn to pray. That's what Jesus' disciples said. Will you teach us to pray? So God's word can prompt us to prayer. So that's the first thing. I just want to encourage us to take away. This, the second one is, um, is that Daniel's prayer appeals to God's mercy. Daniel's prayer appeals to God's mercy. It invites us to pray into God's mercy. In his prayer, Daniel recognizes the rightness of God's judgment. It's heavy, isn't it? You could feel it when Mike was reading. It's, it's there is a weight that is felt in that prayer because Daniel's praying it out of a place of, of exile. And, and what he's saying is, look, we're in exile and that is just. We deserve to be in exile. We're, we're in exile and God has judged us because of our sin. And so most of the prayer is an extended confession. That's what it actually is. God, God had called Israel to do what? To belong to him, to be his people. He, he called them out of his grace. It wasn't anything they did. They didn't deserve it to be his chosen people. He called them out of his grace and then he called them out of his love to follow him, to trust him, to obey him. And he delivered them from slavery. He gave them a land and a law. He called them to become a people who reflect who he was to the world and to bless the world as he had blessed them. To be holy 
as he is holy. That's what he said. And so he made this promise to them. And this promise was, if you obey my words, you'll be blessed in this land. Some promises are unconditional. Some promises are conditional. If, then. If you obey my words, you'll be blessed in this land. If you disobey them, judgment must come and you will be taken from this land. You will go into exile. That's what he had told them. And that's exactly what had happened. That's what happened. They disobeyed and a righteous God rightly passed judgment on them. So Daniel says, Lord, you you were right to judge us. And so his prayer has this kind of rhythm. It's this back and forth rhythm that's really powerful. And the rhythm is between God's goodness and their wickedness. Back and forth. God's goodness, our wickedness. Verse four, this is, this is the God part. Oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all. Right? That's who he's praying to. And then verse five, we the people of God, we have sinned. Right? Verse seven, you are righteous. You are righteous, holy, perfect. You are righteous. Verse seven, we are covered with shame. We are scattered and unfaithful. Back and forth the contrast between who God is and who they have been. Now, just as an aside, I think as 21st century American Christians, uh, we have an allergy to a prayer like this. We we are allergic to confession. Um, I think we've been raised in a world that says guilt is bad no matter what kind of guilt it is. All guilt is bad because anything that makes you feel bad about yourself is wrong and we should just cast it off. Don't entertain it. Just cast it off because, and, and there's, so there's a problem with that, right? There's an oversimplification of guilt because what happens? When you've done something wrong, you feel guilt about it, and that's good. It's right to feel a, a measure of, of guilt because it makes us aware of our sin, and it also opens us up to God's forgiveness. Guilt actually can lead us to God and to grace. I think a lot of times we, we, we forget that, or we've been kind of enculturated to forget that. And so often we're unwilling to acknowledge, in other words, what we deserve is judgment, that we actually deserve judgment. We wanna bypass judgment for some kind of cheap version of love that, that really isn't love, it's just kind of shallow affirmation. And so God's judgment, it is a loving thing. I think we fail to see that too. Why? Because it deals with reality. It deals with reality that we have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. Daniel says it over and over and over again. We have sinned and we need forgiveness. We need salvation. We need grace. And so Daniel owns his sin before the Lord. And and interestingly enough, he owns the sin, not just of his own life, but whose sin? The entire people of God. He's praying and he's confessing the sin of the people of God. I mean, again, just thinking about Daniel's life. I mean, Daniel's been faithful, hasn't he? That's what the whole story's about, his faithfulness. Surely he was tempted in this moment to not say our sin, but their sin, their sin. I didn't do that. It was my ancestors. It was two or three generations back, right? Why wouldn't he have just said that? He could have totally said that, but he says, our sin, and I think we're tempted to do the same. 
It wasn't me, it was them. They did that. That church, that denomination, that movement, that generation. It wasn't me, I wasn't even alive then. We're all tempted to see ourselves in the best light possible, aren't we? To live in a state of denial about our sin. It's hard enough for me to talk about my own guilt, let alone acknowledge bearing the guilt of other people's sin. And so as American Christians, I, I suspect that this aspect of Daniel's prayer, if we took it seriously, it, it, it would really bother us. If we really took it seriously, it would bother us. It would be unsettling, even angering. Corporate responsibility for sin. Very un-American, right? It's one of the reasons that we confess our sin every week. It's one of the beautiful things I love about this Anglican tradition. One of the things that drew me to it is that every week we confess not just our individual sin, but our sin, the things we have done and the things we have left undone is what we say. So according to Daniel, yes, we are sinners. We are guilty, not only of our personal sin, but our corporate sin as God's people. And Daniel comes to God on his knees and he confesses the sins of himself and his people. We have sinned. I remember when I first uh, went to an Anglican worship service. Maybe that's you today. <laughs> first Anglican worship service I ever went to. I didn't grow up in, in this tradition and I remember uh, it was this old kind of neighborhood church, had these wooden pews and uh, just really beautiful stained glass. And, and, and I remember just how beautiful it felt. But the thing that I really remember, stands out in my memory, is it had pews that had kneelers. I'd never seen that before. That's the tradition I grew up, didn't have kneelers. And so at a certain point in the service, everybody popped these kneelers down and they got down on their knees. And you know what we did together? We confessed our sin our sin. And it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. I wish we had kneelers. <laughs> we don't. I wish we had kneelers because it's so powerful to get on your knees before God and to say, Lord, I have sinned against you. In prayer, we appeal to God's mercy when we say that. We say, I am a sinner and I, I need your mercy, not on the basis of my my own goodness, not because I've been faithful or deserve anything, because of your mercy, because of your grace. Verse nine in Daniel, he hammers us again and again and again. Verse nine, Lord, our God is merciful, he says, and forgiving. Verse 15, Daniel reminds us it is his past mercy, the past mercy of God that he calls forth. He pleads for God to turn from his anger as he does in the past. Verse 18, we do not request of you because we are righteous, but because of what? Your great mercy. It's the mercy of God. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of the word of God to us in Christ. And so Daniel's prayer invites us, the gospel invites us to get on our knees and to confess our sin. 
to, to appeal to God's great mercy because he's dealt with our sin. He's poured out our judgment on his son at the cross, and so we can come without fear of judgment. We can come before God as those who are sinful, and we can receive forgiveness and freedom and healing because of what he's done for us in Christ. And so I just wanna ask you, just kind of wrap up this second part, is how often are you confessing your sin before the Lord? Is that a regular pattern in your life? And I don't mean like you kind of think about it and you say, yeah, God, I'm sorry I did that. I mean like getting on your knees at home when it's just you and the Lord and just crying out to God, forgive me for my sin and receiving his mercy. He longs to give you his mercy, to show you mercy. Confess your sin before the Lord and he's faithful and just to forgive you. And so we wanna pray. We wanna pray as people prompted by God's promises. We wanna pray uh, in an appeal to God's mercy. And then the last one um, is we wanna pray in light of God's grace. Daniel's prayer is answered by God's grace. Now, we didn't read this part, and, and I'm gonna move kind of quickly through this part. Um, but Daniel 9 ends with an answer to the prayer. The, the angel Gideon, or Gabriel comes and he says, your prayer has been answered. You are loved. God has heard you. I'm come to give you an answer. But it wasn't the answer that Daniel expected. It wasn't the answer that Daniel expected. He's asking God, is it time for the exile to end so we can go back home? That's his prayer, right? Is it time to go home? And what happens is he gets an, an answer that's way bigger than that, you know? He gets this huge vision that goes way beyond Jeremiah's prophecy and about this exile and this moment in history. It's a vision of what Gabriel calls the 77s, or you may have in your, in your translation the 70 weeks, okay? Now, again, we don't have time to do like a deep dive. You could spend years diving into this vision, and people do. And so I, I encourage you, dive in. Like, this is kind of like a parable of Jesus, if you just skim past it, you won't get anything out of it. If you wanna know more about what God's trying to reveal here, press into it, press into it. So you can do that on your own. There's resources on the website, but we don't have time. So here's the, I wanna give you like a few points that are kind of bottom line, and then I'll, I'll kind of explain what the main takeaway is from this. So first, Daniel had been living in expectation of the end of the 70-year exile. But God is directing his attention again to a much bigger picture. What does he want Daniel to see? He wants Daniel to know that the end of the exile is not the ultimate fulfillment of his promises. It's only the beginning of a much longer process. 77s. That's what that's telling us. That's 77. So, okay, well, how do we decipher that number, these numbers that start popping up here? It's important to know, number two, it's important to know that the number seven in the Bible represents a number of completeness, of wholeness, of fullness. So a great example, think of the creation story. God created the world in how many days? Seven. In the fullness of God's creation, he made creation. Like it's the fullness of his work. Seven kind of symbolizes that. So here sevens represent the fullness of the time God has appointed to accomplish his purposes. Long periods of time, in other words, are laid out here in which God will work out his plans. Um, 
So number three, the vision then reveals that there's three of these kind of periods. There's three of these fullnesses of time in God's plan. And you can see that in verse 25 through 27. Again, I won't read them, but you can look at that. And what you'll see there is there's these three phases. There's seven sevens, then there's 62 sevens, and then there's one seven, right? So 62 plus seven plus one. Is that 70? I got it. Okay, good. Just make sure I don't leave a week out and you're paying attention. All right, so we got 70 weeks, 70 sevens in three phases. Now, what do those mean? What are those breakdowns? Over the past 2,000 some years, Jews and Christians alike have tried to map this out with some kind of historical precision. Like, how does this map onto history? Um, with varying levels of success. In part because what happens is you kind of have to make adjustments and you have to like put on certain conditions and you kind of have to work all this out. And there's a value to that. Um, that's why I'm saying you, there's lots of different views on this and you should, you should look at those things. You should examine these things and weigh these things and ask the spirit to reveal what is God trying to say. We talked about that last week. God is revealing things to us and we should receive them. Um, but that being said, um, what I think is if we get too focused on that, we miss the ultimate goal of what God is trying to tell us with this vision. And so what is the point then? What is the point? I think the point is this, that God reigns over time and history. We've talked about he is the ancient of days and that ultimately he will fulfill all his promises through the anointed one, his son, Jesus. That's history, past and future in God's perspective, is that that is God who reigns over all and will manifest and uh, bring to fruition his promises through his anointed one, his son, Jesus. And the more we dive into the visions like this, the more we press into things like Daniel number, chapter nine, the more it should cultivate in us not a fascination with prophecy, but a fascination with Jesus, okay? And so, so this draws us into Jesus and it, and it manifests what we hear to be true in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus, that's, that should sit right next to Daniel chapter nine, this vision, because that's what it's about. And so I think this is the big picture point. And I think Daniel, what that means is something really amazing. This is what it means. It means that in the book of Daniel chapter nine, what we have here at the end is the gospel. We have the gospel story, the salvation story, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, thousands of years before it came to us, that through Jesus the anointed one, God will do what he has promised to do. And what has he promised to do? It tells us right here, verse 24. He will finish the transgression. He will put an end to sin. He will atone for iniquity. He will bring in everlasting righteousness. He will seal both vision and prophecy. In other words, they will be completed to anoint a most holy place. He will send his anointed one who will be cut off. In other words, he will suffer for our sake. All of that, all of that is pointing us to what God has done and will do for us in Jesus. It's the gospel, right here in Daniel chapter nine. And so it's God's grace to us. It's God's grace to us that we know how the story of salvation and where the story of salvation is leading us. 
It's leading us to Jesus, to life with him in his kingdom, in part now and in its fullness when he returns. And so we look to these words and we see the promises of God. We see the promises of God. And so it's an answer to our prayers. This vision is an answer to the prayers that we pray in a fallen, broken world, a world marred by sin. Because no matter the historical moment we find ourselves in, what circumstances we face today, no matter how hard life feels in exile, this is God's plan. These are his promises and they will come true. He will do this. He will do this. And so when we pray, we can pray with confidence. We can pray with confidence with God's perspective. Just as Daniel's belief that God would keep his promise to return them from exile, strengthened his faith and empowered his prayer. So God's promises to one day deliver us from our exile, from a broken and sinful world, strengthens our faith and empowers our prayer. And so we pray. We're people of prayer. We need to pray because we need God. We need God to lead us through this story. We know how it ends. We know the author of history, the ancient of days, who is faithful and just and gracious. And we need that God. We need that God and we need to pray. So we pray out of God's um, word. We pray into God's mercy. And then we pray in light of God's grace. And just in closing, I, I don't know where you are this morning. I've shared a little bit about where I am as I come this morning in light of the events this week and Maybe what's going on in your personal life where you are with the Lord right now. But I know that God's call for all of us this morning is the same. He invites us to pray, to come to him just, just as we are, just where we are, whatever we're dealing with. He's inviting us to come. And so I want us to take some time to pray. I want to invite you to allow God's word to prompt you to prayer to allow his promises to to move you to prayer. I wanna invite you to enter into a place of confessing your sin and your need for him and receiving his mercy, inviting you to to enter into the story of salvation. God loves you and he's worked out the entire universe and the entire history of humanity to reveal that to you, chiefly through his son, Jesus. Jesus. And so let's, let's just spend some time in prayer. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of guide us to pray for a few things. But even in that, I just want you to, to know there's an openness. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. You can pray a simple word. God, thank you for loving me. That is a beautiful prayer. It's a powerful prayer. It doesn't need to be a long prayer. But I, I do want us to enter into this space where we can just pray together. And so if you would just bow your head. We're just going to come to the Lord in light of what we've read and what we've understood, what's been revealed to us in Daniel chapter 9.